0: I want to talk a little bit about what happens to us when we are impacted by the gospel. What happens when we encounter grace? What changes? Is it just a little change or is it a radical change? And I think when you read scriptures, we realize that once we encounter the gospel, once we encounter the risen Christ and we receive grace, This favor of God that we don't deserve, everything changes. And especially our minds. What do I mean by that? Because before Christ, you follow the ways of the world, you use the world's wisdom. When you lose a job, you listen to worldly advice, you get mad, you try to scramble and fix things yourself, or you try to lash out at whoever you think is responsible. If you get cut off in traffic, it's perfectly acceptable to the world to flip somebody off and and cut them off. Someone cuts in front of you in line, you might say something to them or you might just mumble under your breath and wish them to have a horrible day after that. I mean, these are things that we do before we're redeemed and after we're redeemed, we probably still do them more than we should. But when our minds are changed, we start to see people as made in the image of God, and we start to see things from an eternal perspective, and we start to put our lives into focus and realize that, wait a second, this is just a season, this is just a time, this won't last forever. And when we see Christ suffering, we see suffering in our own life is not that bad, and... Even taking it a step further, as, as Peter will, part of the Christian life to share in the sufferings of Christ. Before we get into our text, we want to be, I want to be honest with ourselves. The Bible tells us to think very differently than every other voice on the planet does. According to the world, and maybe initially when you become a Christian, the Bible kind of weird. Because you know, things like loving your enemies and turning the other cheek and being peaceable with everyone just doesn't sit right when I have anger and I need to be vindicated, right? But we want to be people not like the world, but like Christ. And so what does that look like when suffering happens? How is there grace in suffering? How can we be gracious? How can we be humble? How can we be like Christ in the midst of suffering. Hopefully this passage this morning will be helpful in that. But I want to submit first and foremost to you, the reason why we have a hard time showing grace in suffering is because we don't know how amazing grace is. Sounds good in a song, but you know that feeling we had about five minutes ago when we sang the buildup in Man of Sorrows. That man, Christ was dead. Not just dead for some little old reason, but dead because of me. The death I deserved. That if Christ were to take his sacrifice away, I would die on the spot. The Jews knew this. They saw temple sacrifices almost daily. They saw animals slaughtered in front of them, blood dripping down the side of the altar. And that was to be a reminder that that's your sin. You killed that animal. You're responsible for that. Grace isn't amazing if we're just kind of bad and Jesus makes us a little better. Grace is amazing when we're dead, wicked, and not deserving of God's love and he died for us. We should never forget how amazing grace is. Because when we remember how amazing grace is, we can tend to put suffering in perspective because of what Christ suffered for us. Another thing we probably have to be honest about is we have a weak doctrine of suffering in the church today. We don't like to talk about the uncomfortable things. We don't like to talk about following Christ's example in suffering. You could spend a whole month, a whole series on all that Scripture has to say about following in the sufferings of Christ. Peter will tell us, as we'll see this morning, that that's what we're called to. Christ came to suffer and to die for us in the way that we should have suffered and died, but yet in him get to live. That grace is amazing. And that doctrine of suffering is more powerful than anything you will go through in this life. But if you have a weak doctrine of suffering, if you have this gospel that means everything's going to fall together when you pray a prayer and nothing bad should ever happen, you're going to hit all your your lottery numbers and your pipes are never going to burst and nothing's ever going to go bad, then you're going to be disappointed pretty quickly. And the God you thought you knew is not going to live up to your expectations. But when you understand suffering, when you understand Christ's suffering, he didn't come here to be comfortable, came here to be holy so that we could be like him. And suffering takes on a whole new depth. And it should bring us to our knees every time we think about Christ's suffering on our behalf. And so like we do in every aspect of our lives, we look at Christ as our example. We look to him as our example for suffering and grace in suffering. This will be on the screen, but this is just one verse of many, but this is powerful. Look at Philippians 129. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but what? Also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you. Congratulations. Guess what Christ gave you? Belief, faith, eternal life, and suffering. The gospel is not about your best life now. The gospel is about being with Christ for eternity, even when this life stings. There's this Jewish guy who's a, who's a kind of a social commentator, kind of an agnostic. Dennis Prager, I don't know if you ever listened to him, but he, he has is a pretty, pretty good grasp of Christianity. Doesn't know the Lord, but looks at it from a, a purely comparative view. And he says, you know what one of the big differences between Jews and Christians is? Suffering. He said, Christians embrace suffering because their Lord suffered for them. So Jews hate suffering. He said, suffering stinks. We want nothing to do with suffering. And sadly, that guides the Jewish religion because they don't see Christ as the suffering Messiah in Isaiah 53 that we're going to see in a little bit. They don't have a hope after life because their, their lives are, are um, based more on the teachings of the Talmud than they are of the prophets looking forward to the Messiah. Suffering stinks. It does. That's how most of the world thinks. I want to try to avoid anything that's going to make me comfortable at all costs. But you know what's greater than avoiding anything that makes you uncomfortable? Is having a Lord who will never leave you and never forsake you when things are uncomfortable, because we will face trials. If we try to do them alone, if we try to avoid them, they will rear their ugly heads and will be buried. But standing on Christ, we can stand firm. And we can show grace and we can be peaceful in the midst of suffering because Christ is our example. Peter's readers, they faced suffering that we don't really fully understand. They faced real persecution. Peter was writing to Jews of the dispersion. So Jews who were scattered all throughout, all throughout Roman territories. And we know what Roman, the Romans did to the Christians, Right? They mocked them, ridiculed them, embarrassed them in public, beat them, scourged them, threw them to the lions. So Peter's writing to those people. Peter's writing to people who are really suffering for the name of Christ. Because they were facing a decision that says deny Christ or be torn to shreds by lions. That's real suffering. And there are Christians around the world right now who are facing that kind of suffering. I'm going to say something that may shake a lot of you if you kind of live in a bubble a little bit. If you're bold for Christ, you will face persecution. You won't be torn to lions yet, but you will publicly be torn to shreds. You don't don't think so? Stand up and say, I believe the Bible. Stand up and say, I believe every Bible is God-breathed and it is unchanging by no matter what the culture says. Stand up and say all life is precious, whether young or old. If you take any life that God formed, it's murder, and you're guilty of it. The world's going to love you then. Stand up and say God created the male and female. A boy is a boy, and a girl is a girl. Uh Uh-oh, he didn't. Can't say that, can you? The world's going to love you. You don't think you'll face persecution? Stand up and say, I believe in the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman. And any sexual relationship outside of that is immorality. You're winning brownie points left and right. Stand up and say there is eternal judgment for the sexually immoral, the liars, the thieves. It's going to go really well for you. Those, all, all, all those things are true and you will face persecution for it. But you know what else is true? That I used to be like that. And if you turn to Christ and you repent of your sins, you no longer have to deal with suffering the way the world deals with suffering. You don't have to deal with pain and guilt and death the way the world does. Trust in Christ and be saved. That is also true. The world will not love you for that. And there are examples all across the globe of Western cultures just like us. Or putting people in jail, taking away their their, their kids, shutting down private schools because they're just reading scripture. So if you're not aware of that, you're going to be very surprised by suffering. And I don't want you to be surprised by suffering. Because it's coming. It will come. You can either endure it the way Christ did, or you can try on your own strength and be beaten up day after day after day. Before we get into our text, Peter, uh, I want you to turn to chapter 4. We're still in, in First Peter, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. But Peter almost uh, gives his own explanation of our text. If you look in uh, Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, I'm going to read this, but I just want you to, to, to think through this. Does this sound like something anyone but a Christian could say? First Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were just happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Amen. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous were scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This verse could be the thesis of our passage this morning. Verse 19. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now let's read our passage back in chapter 2 with that in mind. Chapter 2 starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also the unjust. leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may not die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, help these words encourage us and strengthen us to be bold, to stand firm in the gospel no matter what the world throws at us. Let us look more like Jesus. Let us think more like our Lord. Let us be guided by the Holy Spirit. And let us be people who suffer well, who endure well, and who look forward to our crown of glory that you have promised us when you return. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So we're still in this context of submission, Last week, Justin talked about submitting to all authorities and in humility for the sake of the Lord, putting ourselves in a position to be subject. And so that continues, and it's going to continue next week when we talk about uh, men and women. But for this week, we're talking about servants, and so this this word here, uh, servants. I think it's just helpful to understand their situation a little bit, even if you're you're just curious. Uh, this isn't the word for, for slaves. So These weren't technically slaves. These were, were bond servants. Um, we don't have a class system. We don't have that kind of society. So we don't really understand this concept. But what a bond servant was, was they were, they were not technically free. They belonged to whoever they, they worked for. But they had a lot more privileges than slaves did. And they actually lived a lot better than the, the poor did. Because they had meals every day. They had a roof over their heads. Uh, And many times, if they belonged to someone who was was good and kind, they would, would live fairly comfortable lives, although most of their lives, if not all of their lives, would be spent serving whoever their master was. And so these bond servants are bonded to their master. And their treatment is all over the map. So we can't say that they, they were all treated good or they were all treated, treated poorly. And it, different, it, it differentiated from culture to culture and from house to house. Uh, but it's interesting the way that the Romans speak about them. The Romans called bondservants things. It was another possession. The Greeks called them bodies. It's just a thing or a body that you're, you're just fulfilling a task, but you don't have inherent value. So Peter's speaking to them, and they know this. It's not a secret that they're not respected, that they're not loved. And he starts by saying something that's just crazy to us, crazy to the world around us. But be subject to your master with all respect. Well, we only respect the ones who treat us good, right? Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This is a tough call. Because your entire life is one of service. And you could be under someone who's unjust. But he was telling them, as we know, that we work and serve unto the Lord. Not our bosses. Not whoever controls us not only if they deserve it but we do it unto the lord whether they deserve it or not especially when they don't deserve it because our grace under that treatment is is a bold witness to them and that carries over directly into our lives every one of us has worked for people that we can't stand every one of us has worked with and for people who don't deserve to be shown grace we are called to be gracious to them, whether they deserve it or not. Because, like he says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So what does he mean by this is a gracious thing? Because a lot of times we we think about uh, grace as just something that's shown to us, which, which it is. Uh, but this, the way that this is, is written, this gracious thing is actually more of um, God being pleased with our actions. So by us showing grace to others, we receive this gracious affection from God. And we see that in, in verse 20 that says this is a gracious thing in the sight of, of God. That we're not doing things to be pleased by people. We're not doing things for our bosses and our coworkers because they deserve it. Because God is pleased with us and will be pleased with us when we are gracious in these circumstances. So there are implications uh, for us and to us. So in the way that we act gracious toward others in the way that God shows his grace to us. Because our minds are... Redeemed, like we talked about earlier, we see things through a lens of grace. We no, no longer put on these worldly colored glasses that see everything with us first. We'll see pretty quickly that Peter doesn't waste any time getting to Christ. That's how we understand grace. But our lens is grace and in eternity is our perspective. So even when we have unjust masters, we can be faithful because we know it's only for a short period of time. Because we fear the Lord. And he guides us. And his Holy Spirit guides us. Now this isn't suffering for suffering's sake. And many people have made that mistake throughout the, the centuries. Like okay if I just put myself in difficult situations. And induce suffering. Then Christ will be happy with me. No that's just foolish. But what it does mean is that sufferings will come. And we can endure them like Christ. And we can be gracious in them. Or we can be spoiled and we can lash out and be like the rest of the world and not look like Christ at all. And this is not just about doing everything unto the Lord, but going through all things unto the Lord. Do you understand the difference? We, we understand I'm doing this, I'm serving because it brings God glory. But do you endure suffering because it brings God glory? Do you go through the difficult times in life because God gets the glory even when you are ridiculed and mocked and suffer for his sake? And this is what's so powerful about the Christian testimony. Is that our response to injustice is refusing to think of ourselves. To remember the grace that we've been shown and shown that to others. There's this amazing testimony that I want to share with you guys. This is short, but it's powerful. Listen to this. And I thank God that he has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt as my son, the enemy who killed my dear boys. Imagine starting a story like that. These were the words of a Korean pastor Yang Wan Sun. The year was nineteen forty eight, and the place was a town of Sun Chun, near the thirty eighth parallel. Who knows anything about history, you know where we stand in the thirty eighth parallel. A band of communists had taken control of the town for a brief period, and had executed Pastor Sun's two older boys, Matthew and John. They died as martyrs, calling on their persecutors to have faith in Jesus. Wow. When the communists were driven out, Chai's son, a young man in the village, was identified as the one who had fired the murderous shots. His execution was ordered. Pastor's son requested that the charges be dropped and that Chai's son be released into his custody for adoption. Rachel, the 13-year-old sister of the murdered boys, his daughter, testified to support her father's incredible request. Only then did the court agree to release Chai's son. He became the son of the pastor, and soon after, a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. By enduring, the servant shows true freedom. Because regardless of what happens around them, you can't take the freedom we have in Christ. You can kill my children, but I am still free in Christ. And I've been shown more grace than I can ever show you. So I'm going to prove it to you. And the story stops there, but I'm sure many, many people came to Christ after that, after seeing that witness. Let's continue in verse 20. For what, cre- for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Good teachers ask good questions. What credit, what favor is it if you sin and you get what you deserve? Don't, don't pat yourself on the back for enduring suffering that you deserved in the first place. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is what Peter's talking about. Not suffering that you deserve, but suffering that you endure for the sake of Christ. It's amazing to look at the growth of Peter here, right? So remember back in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking about that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he was going to have to rise again What did Peter say to Jesus? Anyone remember his his words? Far be it from you, Lord. Jesus says, I have to suffer and die so that I can raise again. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan the same man who was very Jewish in his pursuit, no, Lord, you should never suffer. You should never do anything that's going to make you uncomfortable. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And now, Peter says, but if you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's amazing what the power of the Holy Spirit will do to transform someone. And Peter is a sterling example of that. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. We weren't called to all sunshine and rainbows. Thankfully, there's a lot of sunshine in the Christian life. There's a lot more joy than there is suffering. But we're called to share in the sufferings of Christ so that we can share in his glory. I told you we're going to look at what scripture says about this. And turn to me, uh, with me to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 12. Wait a, I I think I heard No more pages flipping. Alright, Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The themes of suffering and glory go hand in hand. They're not separate from one another. And we will face trials. And if you are bold for Christ in this country, you will probably face persecution. You know, getting the job that we really want, not getting the job we really want, it's not really suffering the way he's talking about suffering. Having to walk from a far parking spot in the, in, in the parking lot is not suffering, although in the middle of the summer it definitely feels like suffering. But the suffering that we're talking about here is, is something that is storing up treasures in heaven. Of course, our life is not all suffering. And that's why we don't talk about suffering every week. But when scripture talks about suffering, we do. Not so that you run headlong into suffering, so that when it happens, you'll be prepared. Because trust me, suffering's not going to warn you. Hey, pay attention, because in a couple days things are going to get really bad. But when suffering comes, we are to have this encouragement. And we are to go where Peter goes. Look where he continues here in verse 21. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Christ had to suffer but his destination was glory. So was ours. This word example here, Christ example, it's, it's literally like an, an outline or an imprint. You remember when you were a kid and you were first, first learning how to draw or learning how to write and you had tracing paper? Uh, this is exactly what this picture is. They used to do that in Greek culture. To teach children how to write, they would have bold letters underneath and he put a thin piece of paper over top and they would trace the letters over. So the example that Peter's talking about here is just like that. So in order for us to see Christ's example, we have to pay attention to every stroke, every detail and follow it. And that is how we follow in his footsteps. Think about it like this: Anyone ever walked in the snow? I mean, real snow, not a couple of inches, but like feet of snow. How hard is it to walk through several feet of snow when you're breaking ground every time? Very hard. What's the easiest path through snow? Around it. Not around it. If you have to go through it, what's the easiest path through snow? Anybody know? Come on, all you upstate New York follow someone else's footsteps. You let someone go before you and if you walk in every step that they do, you won't have the same resistance that was had the first time. That is Christ's example. That is how we follow in his footsteps. Not deviate and try to make our own path. But he started the narrow way for us. And that is how if you're going up to the top of a mountain and you're following a guide and it's treacherous, you better step exactly where they step. Because that narrow way will keep us following Christ. But if you veer off the path, if you step outside of the one you're supposed to be following, there is certain death on either side. And we have the perfect example. We have these big footprints in the snow that we can walk in. And Christ has done it for us, ahead of us but we must follow him. And part of that example may include suffering. But I want you to get this, and this is really important, because this is another mistake that the church has made throughout the years. We can never follow Christ in the, de- in the degree of his suffering. We will never be mocked to the extent that he was. We will never be scourged with whips until our arteries are showing. We will never be dragged through town square. We will probably never be thrown up on a cross. We will never endure the wrath of God for our sins and thank the Lord for that. So let's not mistake this for having to suffer the way Christ suffered. But we can suffer in the manner that Christ suffered. We can suffer Humbly, trusting in the Lord, submitting to the will of the Father, even in his own death. There's a transition here in our text. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. So it moves from the second to the third person, talking about you, the audience. Now we're talking about Christ. He committed no sin. Now, what you won't get in English, verse 22, 23, and 24, all start with the same Greek word. It's a relative pronoun. It all starts with who. So from what we, what we think, this might be an early song or it might be an early creedal statement. So in the Greek, it reads like this. In verse 22, who committed no sin? Verse twenty three: Who was reviled and did not revile in return. Verse twenty four: Who himself bore our sins in his body. There's this this great rhythm and this way of of helping us remember what Christ has done. Verse twenty two is quoting Isaiah fifty three nine, and um, which says in our in our text, verse twenty two, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. I want to walk through very quickly. Isaiah chapter 53. Now we should know this as the, the the bedrock of all messianic prophecies. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. And this, the the picture of only what Christ fulfilled. Not, there's no other example in history. No one even came close to this. I want us to look at a couple verses. I'm going to read over verses uh I've got to get in the right passage. Verses 3 through, through 9 quickly. I just want you to see the things that are in our text. Because Peter, like any good teacher, any good apologist, any good expositors, anyone who defends the faith, anyone who, who uh, helps translate Scripture, they're always going to look to Scripture for proof. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. Man of sorrows, we sang this earlier, and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hid their faces, and he was despised. We esteem him not. Sound like suffering? Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. More suffering. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought, that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. That's the end of verse 24 here in our passage. And all we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's verse 25 in our passage. That we were sheep astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, verse 22. Like a lamb he was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Again, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 22, Peter is jumping in and out of Isaiah 53 here. He knows it very well. And all of the apostles quote this quite often. Because this is so foundational to understanding the gospel, to understanding what Christ did. And, and he continues in verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Our human nature, we want vengeance. We want my vindication. I need to be vindicated for me. But Christ wasn't, un, wasn't concerned with unjust judgments. If you think, if there's any unjust judgment in all of history, it was Christ. His own people were calling for him to be crucified. How unjust is that? Pilate set him for a death that he didn't deserve. How unjust was that? But Christ endured and trusted in his father. And Peter was an eyewitness to this. Peter is speaking as someone who saw the beatings, who saw the crucifixion, crucifixion and saw the risen Christ and saw that he trusted the Father through the entire ordeal. And Peter would one day be crucified himself. So unworthy, Peter thought himself to suffer in the same way that Christ was. He was crucified upside down. Think it's uncomfortable to be crucified, the worst death ever? Peter chose to do it upside down because he didn't even want to be compared to Christ in that manner. That's how much Peter was transformed. Who, verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds? You have been healed. Remember, the Jews understood the sacrificial system, propitiation. See that word in your outline? It's a big word, but it's the only word that really sums this up. It is someone who pays the penalty for someone else that they can't pay themselves. And so no longer were, were bulls and goats expected to pay the price for sin, but it was Christ who did it. Our substitutionary atonement. So that, this is beautiful, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This, this term, die to sin, uh, in, in the Greek, is, is breaking all connection, is completely separating yourself from it, is having nothing to do with it anymore. It's, it's like sin is pumped into our IV and it's going through our bloodstream. And the only way to totally cleanse the body is to kill it and raise it from the dead. That is this die to sin so that we can live to righteousness. His wounds, the irony here that wounds led to healing. But that's how our body works, right? God has made our bodies that when it's injured, when there's wounds, it, 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 it heals. And so there's these, these great pictures in scripture of us receiving healing that we don't deserve, not through our wounds that we should have, but through Christ's wounds. For all you were straying like sheep, we saw this in Isaiah 53, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But such were we, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, such were some of you, The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the liars, the thieves. You were these sheep that had gone astray. But now, recipients of grace, like your Savior, from the grace that we received, we can show grace in the midst of suffering. We don't lash out, we don't revile in return, but we respond as Jesus did. We stand firm speaking the truth in love and saying, turn to Jesus, trust in him because in him there is no more sin, there is no more guilt, there is no more sorrow because he has died once for all of your sin and all of your pain and all of your sorrow and even though suffering may come for a time, there is joy in the morning because we are returned to the shepherd and overseer of our faith. Christ is the leader of his people as a shepherd and cares for them. As an overseer, he teaches and guides and orders them. These, coincidentally, are the same two terms that are applied to the elders in the New Testament. The shepherd and the overseer, that of care and that of oversight. As we look at care in the church, as Justin and I talk through what it looks like to care for a body. These things are ever-present to shepherd, to lay down our very lives for the sake of those God has entrusted to us, for oversight, to organize and lead well. We follow in Christ's example in that too. Because our shepherds sought us in our sin and endured suffering for us so that he could care for us and guide us and keep us safe until he returns again. So we conclude this morning, when we're faced with a situation that is uncomfortable, a command in scripture like this, to face suffering this way, we look to Christ as our example and what he's done and reminded ourselves of who we are in him, and reminded ourselves of the suffering he endured for us. And we can show grace because of the grace that's been shown to us. And remember, it's not grace if it's deserved. It's grace because it's not deserved. And we can be people of grace because we are people of grace. The grace of God shown to us that brought us wandering sheep back to life, that brought us into the fold of God. So whether you're a bond servant, or poor, or lowly, or downcast, You receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You are royal priests. You are sons. You are daughters. You are heirs. And though suffering may come for a time. There is joy in the morning. And the glory that lasts forever in Christ. Because he showed us grace. He sacrificed himself for us. Let's pray. Lord, we can't begin to understand your grace. You are all good and all powerful and perfect. That you would even think about wallowing in the mud with us is unthinkable. Not only did you come down to walk with us, but you came to bring us home with you while we were murderers and thieves, while we killed Jesus, our sins put him on the cross. Like that young man who shot the two pastor's sons, you brought us into your house, called us yours, so that we might believe in you. Lord, that is amazing grace. When we compare suffering to that, to be able to give us all the perspective in the world. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace on us. We thank you that as a man, you suffered in our place. Please give us boldness. Give us peace. Give us strength. So when suffering and trials do come, that we will be found obedient, that we would be faithful servants in your household. And help us to look to our hope that is unshakable, unchanging in you, kept in heaven for us, because you said so. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.